We have two readings for today. Uh, the first one is from Matthew 23:16 to 22, and the second is Matthew 5:33 to 37. Um, both of them can be found in your leaflet and on the screen, or also in your Bibles. Woe to you, blind guides! You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, what is greater, the gold of or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And then back to Matthew five thirty-three to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now I've got a bit of a trick question for you to start off. Does anyone here uh, not have a problem with truth? Okay, you all do. You're all on. Oh, no. <laughs> One person is lying. Uh, you're not. Yes, thank you, Michelle. Okay. I think our society actually has a problem with truth, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, truthful with ourselves, we'll realise that this is a bit of a challenging kind of topic for us. Uh, we've become a society that has uh, mastered uh, what Don Watson called weasel words. You've heard this phrase before? Okay, for those not familiar, a definition of a weasel word is an informal term for words and phrases aimed at creating an impression uh, that a specific or meaningful statement has been made where instead only a vague or ambiguous claim has actually been communicated. So no longer is anyone sacked. You are retiring to spend more time with the family. Uh, you are seeking other opportunities. Uh, James Clapper, the US Director of National Intelligence, answered uh, a criticism that he had lied. said, no, 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 no. I merely offered the least untruthful answer. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? Okay. We started late at 11 o'clock because the sermon... It wasn't too long, but it exceeded its temporal parameters. 1997, for those of us who are old enough, remember John, John Howard? And he made a promise about the GST. What did he say? Never, ever. Yeah, never, ever. Thanks, Bev. Now, he did a backflip. Do you remember the phrase that he used? That was a non-core promise, where somehow meant to work out what the core promises are and what the non-core promises are, because it's okay to break a non-core promise, but a core promise is, is for real, okay? So we have to work out 
which one's core and which one's non-core. We have a society that deals in that kind of language all the time. We kind of get a bit frustrated by it, don't we? Kind of get a bit cynical about it. But deep down, I want to ask you this morning, do you actually want truth? Do you actually want truth? Jack Nicholson asked quite famously by Tom Cruise, I want the truth. He said, you want the truth? You can handle the truth. I would like to suggest that uh, we need extraordinary resources to actually handle the truth. It's not something that comes easy. It's definitely not something that comes naturally to us. And this morning, from this passage that we're looking at, uh, from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, we're dealing with the whole question of truth. And particularly, we're going to ask, how can we be both speakers and hearers of the truth? What resources does God give us to work this out? I've given up on the alliteration. I've gone with three points. What was said what Jesus said and didn't say, and what we say and why. So let's dive in. Uh, what was said? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you remember he's contrasting the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes, the Old Testament they had taken and twisted into this weird counterfeit that meant that uh, all that mattered was the externals. So we remember that. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. True Christianity, the Christianity that is of the kingdom, the Christianity that actually is God's Christianity, uh, that is a matter of the heart that changes the actions, not just the externals. And he says in chapter 5, verse uh, 20, you must have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees if you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he gives us six contrasts. Remember those? Where he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you that even if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say when you lust, that's the same thing. Jesus takes it and challenges that whole idea that it's all about just what you do with your hands... And he says, no, 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 it's actually what you do with your heart that is the big thing. And what you, where your heart is that will change the way you live. And now he gets on to another one and he says, again, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, Jesus isn't picking up a particular passage like uh, do not murder or do not commit adultery, both in the Ten Commandments. Here, he's picking up Uh, kind of a conglomerate of a whole lot of Old Testament passages like Numbers 30. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. If you're taking notes, Exodus 20 verse 7, Leviticus 19 verse 12, Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23 all kind of cover the same area. But what I'm trying to show you is this idea of oaths was not merely permitted in the Old Testament. It was actually encouraged. So Deuteronomy 10 verse 20, Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. The Old Testament held up oaths and vows and that kind of stuff as entirely appropriate. So why? 
Why did it do this? Well, because the Old Testament recognised that this issue with truth is not just a modern phenomenon. That the issue with truth goes back to the garden, goes back to Adam and Eve before God. The issue with truth is not just an Australian modern issue, but a worldwide human issue. Let me ask you a question to illustrate this. Ladies, as I ask this question, I want you to think, do you really want the answer? Do you want the truth? Guys, I want you to answer the question, are you prepared to speak the truth? Do you know the question? Does this dress make me look fat? Ladies, you can ask the question. I don't know if any lady's ever been stupid enough to ask that question. But if you do, you don't want the answer. You really don't. And guys, are we brave enough to give the answer? Um, I don't know where this book comes from. I'm very tempted to see if I can track it down. A Man's Guide to the Loaded Questions Women Ask. It would be interesting, at least, if not somewhat dangerous and provocative to have on my shelf. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? We have this kind of weird relationship with truth. And what the Old Testament did with its ideas around vows and oaths was actually to put a restraint on our tendency to lie. And so what it did is it called God as a guarantor of our promise. So when we made an oath, when they made an oath in the Old Testament, they were calling God to witness that vow and to hold you accountable for it. Sounds good? Jesus is saying something different though. What Jesus did and didn't say. Matthew 5 verse 34 Classic Jesus, you've heard it said, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Even by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. So we've got to actually ask, is Jesus throwing out the Old Testament on this? Is he actually overturning the Old Testament? And it probably doesn't surprise you to hear that the answer to that question is no. And we see it in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, one of those early messengers of Christianity, he takes oaths. Romans chapter nine, uh, 1 verse 9. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. That's an oath that he's taken. Is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And maybe Paul's not good enough for us. Let's go up a bit higher. God himself makes oaths. Hebrews 6 verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So what is Jesus actually saying? Because he's not just saying, don't take oaths. What is he having a dig at? Our first reading that Lorinda brought to us, and if you've got your Bibles, helpful to open up to Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus addresses this issue again. He says in verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides! If you, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, they're bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, 
If anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. Now, what's happening? You see, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees had set up a whole lot of rules, let's put it in modern context, about what makes a core promise and a non-core promise. They'd made a whole lot of rules around this idea of making oaths about which one you could break and which one you couldn't. And you see it there. You swear by the gift on the altar, you're bound by that. Swear by the altar? I swear by the altar, Mum, I will clean up my bedroom. No, you can break that any time. Total non-core promise. Okay? I swear by the gold, bound. I swear by the temple, I will wash the car. Doesn't matter. You're not bound. The rabbis are actually written, if I swear by Jerusalem, it's non-binding. But if I swear towards Jerusalem, it's binding. Figure that. Like, what's happening here? They're setting up they're setting up a series of rules that actually allow oaths to actually promote deceit. Because you've got to know the rules. It sounds really convincing, doesn't it? Mom, I swear by the altar. I swear by the temple. I swear by Jerusalem that I'll clean up my bedroom. It's a given. Surely you're going to follow it. No, all of those are non-binding. All of those are non-binding. So the whole oaths thing had become not a promotion of integrity and honesty, not a check to our sin, but something that promoted our sin because it allowed me to lie in a really convincing way to, what was it, give the least untruthful answer, emphatically, again and again and again. And that is what Jesus is getting at. These guys had made their religion external conformity where my inward intent is to lead you up the garden path, but I haven't effectively breached the letter of the law. Can you see how wrong that is? And Jesus is going hard at it. He basically says everything is linked to God, so you cannot duck and weave. Because if you swear by heaven, it's God's throne. If you swear by the earth, it's God's footstool. If you swear by Jerusalem, it's the city of God's king, his Messiah. If you swear by your head, you have no control over whether it's grey or black. But God does. So God is over everything. So any, any vow you make with reference to anything, is a binding vow because God is involved because there is not one part of this world that he does not rule over. And so effectively he's saying every oath is binding, so don't bother making oaths. Just be people of integrity. Just a quick aside, because Christians have got this wrong significantly over the years. Some Christians will look at what Jesus said and go, well, what happens when I go into the law court 
and they ask me to make an oath. I swear that the evidence that I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Some Christians feel that they can't actually make that promise, make that vow, make that oath. Hopefully you'll see that's not what Jesus is prohibiting here. It's a misunderstanding that Jesus is actually ruling oaths totally out of line. But what he is doing is attacking the idea that I can make a promise that is non-binding. I can make a statement that is the least untruthful answer and expect you to accept it as fact. That I can make such a thing as non-core promises. So what's the answer? We go on to what we say and why. Now, if you're getting excited about the fact that we're only 15 minutes into the sermon and I'm already on my last point, don't get too excited, okay? <laughs> Let's see. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Don't make promises. Don't try and dress everything up and make it look really good so you can make your yes into a no and your no into a yes. You're up into a down, a black into a white. He says, no, be people of simplistic integrity. Say what you mean clearly, simply, and back it up. Say what you mean, mean what you say. What did they used to say? My word is my bond. That is what Jesus is saying. That the citizens of his kingdom, because he himself as king is true, so we are to be characterized by truth. And he said anything else, any addition to a yes or a no and an intention to back it up from the heart is actually from the father of lies, the devil. In case you missed the emphasis, James picks up almost exactly the same point in chapter 5, verse 12. My brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, by earth, by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. If your intention is to say yes, say yes. Don't say no. Don't say yes in a way that you can wriggle out of later. If it's yes, say yes. If it's no, say no. Simple integrity. That's what Jesus says. But I've never had someone say, Cameron, I swear by Jerusalem that I will help with kids' church. I've never had one of my kids swear by the altar that they will clean up their bedroom. We just don't use that kind of language. That was their way of lying. What is our way of lying? So I did some reflection. On myself. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. What do I do? And I'm sure you guys are perfect. You, don't, you wouldn't do this, would you? You know, deliberate ambiguity. I said I'd do it. I just didn't say when. Ella Saxon, who many of you will know, and you'll know Ella's sense of humour, he uh, told me about a man who, uh, who told his wife off. He said... I said I'd do it. I don't need the reminders every six months. <laughs> you get the idea. We are deliberately evasive. We say what we think they want to hear in a way that kind of lets us wriggle out from its force. 
maybe we uh, allow them to draw a conclusion that we actually know is wrong and we don't actually correct it. So they come to a conclusion which was never our intention. We didn't want to do that, but we're happy for them to believe that and I'm just not going to correct you. Maybe we do it in half-truths, you know, those convenient omissions. Most of social media is this. I look at your lives on Facebook. You guys have such better lives than I do. They're all shiny and beautiful, just like Sean's head. It's just... Um, <laughs> sorry. It is the polish. It is the polish. But isn't it true? We only present half, half the shiny bit, the smiley bit. Is that not deceptive, that we won't let people in under the surface? We present half-truths, we present white lies, we say to ourselves, who's harmed by this? I guarantee if you ask the person you're lying to, they will not see it the same way. But we justify it to ourselves that actually no one's hurt by this. Maybe we just avoid giving an answer. So we let our silence speak for us. Lying can often be what we say, it can be how we say it, also what we don't say. And we can become very cunning about how we hedge those phrases. You know, I never said I was going to go. I never said I was going to turn up to the party. Okay, just left my options open. Maybe you do intellectual evasions, you know, try this, this is the great intellectual evasion of uh, recent history, you know, when Luke Skywalker, episode four, what happened to my father? A Darth Vader killed your father. Episode six, you told me Darth Vader killed my father, but Darth Vader is my father. Well, what I told you, Luke, was true from a certain perspective. Really? How? We have these little intellectual evasions, we have these little tricks about how it's actually not really a lie, when we know it's a lie. What Obi-Wan should have said is, sorry Luke, I lied to you, I just didn't think you could handle it. Okay, still wrong, okay, but true. Okay, many things we don't see as lies or deception. Okay. We have little categories of what's true and what's not, don't we? So if I RSVP'd on Facebook, because I don't actually think that a Facebook invitation is really a valid invitation, so is therefore my RSVP a valid RSVP? Well, no, it's not actually, so I don't really have to honour that if I said I was going. Do you think that works? People who hold events and advertise them on, uh, on Facebook tell me that... The numbers who say they're coming and the people who actually show are often wildly different. I think Jesus is calling us to be a little bit more straightforward, have a little bit more integrity perhaps there. Take me up on that later if you want. But I could sit here and say, okay, as Christians, as citizens of the kingdom, you must be truthful. And you go out thinking, I must be truthful. I want to unpack that a little bit more because I don't want to go, you go out here feeling like the law has been laid upon you really, really heavily. I think we need to understand why we sin and how in the gospel 
Jesus and God the Father address those core issues, those heart issues. Otherwise, what we will do is we will create a whole series of rules like the Pharisees and the scribes. And we will turn into them and hear Jesus' condemnation. Where he's saying, his people, his citizens, they address the heart issues. And he gives us resources that are incredible, that allow us to actually become people who can not only speak but hear truth. So if you've fallen asleep, wake up now because this is the really important part of the sermon. Why do we lie? Well, simply we lie because we sin. We lie because we refuse to acknowledge that God is king and that his way is the best way. And we've been lying from the beginning. Lying is second nature to us, more so than truth. But we lie for particular reasons. Some of us lie to get advantage. Some of us lie because we think, honestly, this is the best way to get what I need. I want something, so I am going to lie to get it. Okay? You come across these people, even if you're not one of them. They're in the workplace, you know, the people who lie to the boss. And you just go, I can't, I can't believe that you've just... I know that's false. I know someone, and I've sat uh, around a table with this person many, many times, and they've told stories. This person loves to feel accepted. They've told stories that I've been part of. And I've sat there and gone, I sure as anything know that that is not true. But the story has been embellished and built up because this person believes that if the story is bigger, they will get more love, more acceptance. What they do is they blow a hole in the relationship that we can have because you just don't know if you can trust them. People seek control, they seek power, they seek advantage, they seek stuff for themselves and they will lie to get it. Why else do we lie? We lie because we don't love. I've heard people say that if I, if I told her this, I love her too much, it would just devastate her. Let me challenge how you're thinking about love if that's you. What is the greatest good for that person? The greatest good for that person is that they grow in the likeness of Christ. And if they are doing something that is sinful harmful and you do not love them enough to draw that to their attention because you see their greatest good is actually being in relationship with you can i suggest you see that your greatest good is actually them being in relationship with you it's very self-serving whereas if you go in and actually lovingly graciously bring this before them that is the best thing you can do we lie by omission or commission by action or absence, when we don't speak, when we don't tell the truth. We also lie because of fear, don't we? You see it in little kids. Did you break this? No! It's obvious that they did. They're afraid of the consequences. We feel the same, don't we? We're just better at doing it. We lie because we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of loss. What am I going to lose if, this, if the truth comes out here? 
Because the truth can hurt. The truth can mean that they might reject me if they truly knew. So I'm going I'm to pretend. I'm going to lie. We see it. You know, people here, I've heard it many times, not just this church. Um, car park miracles, do they ever happen to you? Life is rubbish. You're having a terrible time. You get to the car park, get out of the car, the smile comes on. How are you? Yeah, great. Do you see that? You're afraid that if you actually told them, A, they might buff you off. B, they might not think you're that good a Christian and you feel judged. And so you lie. You fear the cost because sometimes keeping keeping your promise, keeping your word, telling the truth can cost. You fear being exposed. If I was actually honest, if I actually told them what was happening, if I actually told them what I did, what were you looking on the internet? Oh, I was just checking the weather. You know it wasn't the weather. You know that you were looking at something that would both dishonour your relationship with your wife, your husband, as well as God. But you don't want that exposed. And so you lie. You lie to cover your sin, your shame. You see how when I went to the start, you know, you can't handle the truth? We can handle some truth, the truth that we like. But it's really hard, isn't it? When it's turned on us, when it's our sin and shame that's being exposed, when it's our loss that is possible, we really don't like the truth. It's interesting, they ask relationship experts about what people want most in a partner, a husband or a wife, and the answer came back, honesty. Can I suggest, you want some honesty, don't you? You really don't want total honesty because we're not really very emotionally equipped to deal with total honesty. Except, can I say that through the gospel, we can be. We can be. Let me tell you how it works. Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, the fact that he died in our place, bearing the cost of our sin, suffering under God's judgment because of what we did, what we deserved, he did that for us by his love and grace and mercy. And that simply by putting our trust in him, by having faith in what he did for us, simply that sets us right with God, that his righteousness, his perfection is credited to our account and our sin is paid for by him on the cross. That is the Christian gospel. Many of us will know that. Many of us trust that. But brothers and sisters, it's not just our doorway into heaven. It's not just our entrance into salvation. It is the power to live the Christian life now, as the Spirit takes that gospel and works it into each of those areas of our life. Let me unpack. How does, how does the gospel answer our craving to have our, our needs met, our craving for significance, 
our craving for affirmation. The gospel says God loves you so much that Christ died for you and now you have a status in him because of what he did that says you are my child, you are loved and nothing can take that away. You are heirs with Christ of every spiritual blessing. So the fact that I can get an extra little bit of money by getting ahead, I don't need that because I have power in Christ. I have security in Christ. I have significance in Christ. And the extent to which we see that that gospel is true, it will change how we look at those things. And we see that the lies that we feel that we need to tell to get that, we've already got it and we've got it in spades and we've got so much more than that little lie is going to get us. How does the gospel speak to our fear? It speaks to our fear because so often what we fear is loss. We fear consequence. But Christ lost everything so that we might gain everything and nothing can take that from us. Christ gave us a relationship with God freely by his grace, which means that if you go out of here thinking, Cameron's a liar, it hurts. It doesn't break me. My status, my self-awareness doesn't come down to my performance as a person who speaks the truth. I should speak the truth. It's a good thing. But my security, my significance, my, my life is found in Christ and what he's done. And so it actually means that not only can I speak the truth, because if you reject me for my honesty... God has accepted me. But not only can I speak it, I can hear it. I can hear it from you because no matter what you say, God has already told it. Because there is a truth that comes through the gospel. What is that truth? The truth is, is that for each of us here, our sin was enough to send Christ to the cross. So if I pretend it's all okay... I'm, I'm lying to myself. If I look at the gospel and say, my sin was of such offense that Christ had to die, that truth exposes us, that truth levels us, that truth destroys any pretense. But in the gospel, we have love, not just truth. We have truth that takes us down and love that the judgment that we deserved is paid for by Christ. The status that we deserved as cast off and under judgment and curse is attributed to Christ. And God's love meets that need. God's love gives us grace. God's love gives us mercy. And so we see that our way forward... Our way forward is only as his spirit takes that gospel and works it deep. So why do you lie? I don't know your hearts, but God knows your hearts. I don't know your particular tendencies, 
But how does the gospel speak to those, that lack of faith? I lie because I believe this. Well, what you're believing there is a lie. And you need to believe the truth that is the gospel. And as you do, you will see you're actually given everything you need to actually tell and live the truth, to speak and hear the truth. Tying up, Ephesians 4.15, Paul talks about the church. And he uses a phrase there that I think is a fantastic phrase, but I want to add to it. He talks about the church speaking the truth in love. Some of you will be familiar with that. It's not just speaking the truth. It's not just love. Speaking the truth in love, my addition, hearing the truth in love. Because as we love God and we love our neighbour, as we see that our King is truth incarnate, that will change us. And we should be a community where reality, where simplicity where integrity is normal, where we don't put veneers on, where we don't hold each other at bay, we don't easily take offence, we don't dispense with the truth because it's too difficult. Because we are a community of grace, a community of the gospel. And that is where the power is found to live a life that speaks and, tr- and hears the truth in love. So much more I could say. You know me. The sermon wasn't too long. It merely exceeded its temporal parameters and it is doing that exactly now. So why don't I pray, but if you want to talk more about this, I'd love to talk. Uh, so let's pray. Father, the gospel of grace, it not only exposes our need and lays our sin bare, but it meets that need and it lifts us through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the pit of judgment to your very throne. It grants us a security, it grants us a significance, it grants us a status that nothing in this world can give and nothing in this world can take. Father, I pray that that gospel, by your Spirit, would work itself deep in us. That we would see the lies of this world, that we feel that we need to hedge our truth, that we need to tell outright lies, that we need to shades of grey, planned ambiguities. Lord, help us see that the things that we fear losing or the things that we crave to get are found in you as a gift. Father, as we live in your grace, help us also to be people who speak and hear the truth in love. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.